Hello and welcome to another edition of Friends in Music with me, Brian Doherty. Today we chat with composer, session musician, and guitarist John Platania. John hails from the upstate New York Hudson Valley region, and John is mostly known for his work with, among others, Van Morrison and Chip Taylor. Let's listen in. By the way, Tony Mercadante says hello. I spoke mm. to him this morning. Oh, my goodness. How's, how's he doing? He's doing great. He's retired. He was in Florida. He's got a place in Florida. You know, he's working with Chip. You know, me, he's doing stuff. He's actually putting bass on, the, on that little uh, track that you put drums on. Uh-huh. Great. So I sent it to him, see what he does with it. Oh, that, that's fantastic. So... You know, you know what I like to do in these conversations? Can you hear me okay? I'm hearing you great, as okay. a matter of fact. I, I build these as a casual music chat. And, um, and uh, so we're just going to chat and catch up. And, but I always like to start by having you introduce yourself so that people know something about you and how you identify yourself. And then we'll just go back from there. Oh, man, you're asking. <laughs> Well, I mean, what can I say? You and I go back a long ways, but I go way back before that. So Tell uh, us. Tell us. We're here well, for it. You know, basically, uh, like everybody else, uh, grew up in, a, uh, you know, I grew up in the Hudson Valley, and my musical uh, journey started there, uh, very close to Woodstock, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the playground, the musical playground's always been rich here, you know back in the late 60s, a lot of great musicians, always has been, still is. And even before I even realized what was happening in Woodstock, there's a lot of musicians that I, um, I, I connected with. Like in uh, my first band that I could say sort of was started launching my career was a group called The Silver Bike. And uh, we signed to Bang Records uh, and we had the same producer that uh, Van had. Mm-hmm. And uh, he signed us. And we did a couple, we cut a couple of records uh, uh, for them. And I met Van in passing then. And we had the same engineer that, that did Brown Eyed Girl and all that stuff. And, and, just, and just for those listening... Like 67. You're referring to Van, to Van Morrison, right? Right. The, okay. And, yeah, so um, that's where, where I launched my career. But before that, while I was signed to Bang Records, that kind of got me into the studio scene in, um, in Manhattan. I did a bunch of things with Mort Schumann for, for some acts that he produced. Mort Schumann's... Have you ever heard of Mort Schumann? No, no. Tell me more. Um, Mort was, uh, uh, he worked with Van, he worked with Jacques Brel. He's like a heavy duty, legit kind of producer who went into rock. I, I can't off, uh, offhand, I can't remember some of the, uh, being, he worked with major acts. So I started doing sessions for him. He got me into working with John Cale from, um, oh, nice. uh, Velvet Underground, I had a bunch of things. Uh, oh, uh, um, uh, Mort worked with the Box Tops as well. Oh, so great. that launched my career uh, as far as uh, session work. And uh, then that band broke up. I went and started my own bands, uh, tr- power trios in the area. 
and in, in the Woodstock area. I mean, the silver bike emanated from the Mid-Hudson Valley area. So that was always been my uh, kind of base of operations. So that's when I started working in uh, going, start my uh, um, basically working with a van in Woodstock. He had just moved from, uh, from Boston to Woodstock after uh, Bang Records kind of ran him out of town. So can you because, just go, you're going to have to explain to us what Bang Records is, number one. And number well, Bang two, Records is, uh, had a ton of acts. Uh, um, Van was signed to uh, Bang Records by the same producer that signed us, but he, uh, uh, Mort Schumann produced all of Van's early stuff Mort brought, I'm, I'm sorry, not Bert Burns brought Van from UK, signed him up, brought him to the States and uh, produced all this stuff. Um, Here Comes the Night, Brown Eyed Girl, which was the biggest, his biggest record on Bang. Um, uh, he had a bunch of, a bunch of hits, uh, lesser hits, but brought him over, signed him up and, uh, and, the van was really unhappy with him. Uh, he claims he never received any money. I mean, I'm sure he received his uh, writer's share, but publishing share got nothing. And he refused to cooperate with him after um, uh, after Brown Eyed Girl. Uh, some other acts on Brown uh, Bang uh, um, was an acronym for uh, Burns Amit. Nushi and uh, um, I can't remember. Um, the guy started uh, Atlantic Records um, with Ahmet. Do you remember? Uh, Ahmet Erdogan and um, who would the G be? Um, Ahmet and uh, it'll come to me later, but that's what that's who Bang Records was. And, and, and they say it was kind of also bankrolled by the mafia. Jewish okay. and Italian mafia, mm -hmm. and they didn't. They weren't happy with Van, and basically, he Van was contentious. So I'm not going to do anymore, and they literally ran him out of town. And that was the town of Boston. So he's leaving from Boston yeah, that's, to he to left Woodstock. New York City, went to Boston, oh. landed in Pete Pete uh, uh, um, uh, Peter Wolf's uh, couch in his house. Who, who's oh and, Peter Wolf? From uh, Jay Giles, yeah, 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 the singer. So uh, landed on his couch, and um, by the way, in Boston Jerry for a while. Wexler's who I was thinking of. Oh, Jerry Wexler. Bang is uh, Bert for Bert Burns, um, Amit Erdogan, Nushi Erdogan, and uh, Jerry Wexler, and the and the um, the logo was a gun being okay. fired. Very, so Which is appropriate because it probably was mafia run. <laughs> so significant on more than one level, at least, yeah. right? right. Um, so you, so you've taken us to this point where it looks like you're commuting, maybe, or like if, actually, for those who aren't aware, am I correct? In like Hudson Valley, we're talking like hundred miles north of New York City, right? Yeah, okay. at the most. And what what town did did you grow up in? In the Hudson right across Valley? the river. Right, uh, I grew up in Ulster County, which is where Woodstock is in Highland. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and then you were you were mentioning that the, it, was, it was very fruitful music scene in the Hudson Valley. So were there were the acts that you first started working with all in the Hudson Valley, or did you find yourself yeah. commuting down yeah. down to they New York? Were, they were all in the Hudson Valley, and with this band that I mentioned that was signed to Bang Records, uh, that began my foray into Manhattan. Gotcha, and, gotcha. You know, we, we you know we worked uh, in Manhattan a lot. There were you know uh, clubs like uh, in the Village, like uh, um, um, the Night Owl, uh, the Eighth Wonder, stuff like that. Pretty you know uh, the scene, which was a huge uh, scene, which right. is a huge club down there, and we played there and. Uh, and at that point is where is how we we signed to Bang Records when we're involved in the whole uh, uh, commuting into the city. And and what there. kind of what kind of playing opportunities were there in the Hudson Valley? Were there were there clubs yeah, as well? Or? Yeah, there were lots of clubs all over the place, you know. And uh, um, were there other bands in the Hudson Valley that that um, were emerging at that time? At the same time, uh, yeah, but we, you know, we had a little bit more of an edge somehow, and uh, at that time, we were the only ones that wound up getting a record deal. This was a '67. So, who else was in this band with you? Uh, a guy named Mike Nelson, who I'm still in touch with. He's the he was the guy that put it together. He's the guy that had the connections with the manager down there, uh, Manhattan, that signed, mm -hmm. got assigned to Bang Records. A bass player was from um, Manhattan as well, Charlie Cazalet. The singer uh, uh, was from up here. So the singer and myself and, uh, were from basically the same town. And uh, the drummer was originally from England, moved, moved here. And uh, that, was, that was the basic unit. Got it. And so you, you had mentioned before the break that it was the relationships that that you forged through this band via the engineer the producer the label that that got you onto van right and am, am i correct so yeah. what was it that easy or was it just that you had heard i mean did, had you heard of this i just guy sort of you, fell into it the band the band had another guitar player who bailed i came into the scene into that band and uh, it, it just in a matter of a couple, a couple of months, uh, um, we signed to Bang Records. We went down there. But here's, here's the kicker. The guy that signed us, Burt Burns, who signed Van, I mean, he's in a, you know, he's, it was like one of the main guys uh, in, in uh, producers of that area, era. He was right up there. I mean, the McCoys were on Bang Records. He signed the McCoys. Uh, Neil Diamond was on that oh, label. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, of course, Van, uh, the Strange Gloves. Uh, um, the B-52s later signed to Bang Records. Oh, wow. uh, uh, to, uh, so, um, uh, where was I? Um, where were oh, we? We were just talking about your... your trajectory to, yeah so to to so, van actually so so it was immediate you know uh, it was immediate uh, as far as connecting with bang records and getting a deal uh, but where i was going with that it's a burt burns the the uh guy that signed us who basically owned the label died 
He's okay. the guy that brought Van over. That was kind of my connection. We, I met Van, in, you know, at that juncture when Van was ready to leave and he was basically thrown out of uh, uh, the label, kicked off for his because he refused to cooperate. And um, uh, and then because Bert died, you know, we did one, we recorded one more single. And that was the end of uh, our, my career with that label. And I, uh, and I was, at that point, I was doing studio work in Manhattan. So um, what I'm, what, what I'm, what, what it seems like to me is that at that point, Van Morrison gets uh, run out of town from his label. So he's somewhat professionally homeless. Exactly. Your, your Labels. connection, your connection to the uh, record label, this guy dies. So you're, this cycle has ended for you too. So you guys are now, you and Van are both kind of looking for new collaboration. Is that it? Exactly. Okay. Before, before we talk about this new collaboration, what do you think if you can just, just, just by conjecture, what do you think it was that Van Morrison would not cooperate with, with, with the label? Was it that there was, you know, publishing royalties? Publishing, I think publishing royalties. Yeah. You know what? I mean, they wanted more chunk, bigger chunks, and 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 at this point, he had already had hit with Brown Eyed Girl, yes. Yeah. Okay. And had a hit with Brown Eyed Girl. Here comes the night. Was a minor hit. Was Domino uh, Domino on that record? Too? No. Okay. Domino came in on Warner Brothers. Okay. Uh, that was quite a while. Second album into my uh, um, relationship with Van. But I'm just After curious he, if he did he a, ever. Did did he ever let go and just say those guys were such son of a blah blah blah, and they were trying to do X Y and Z? You mean make, Bang yeah. Records? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh did yeah, he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, he lambasted them all the time. It sounds like something I would have read in Hitman. Did you ever read read that book? Hitman? Yeah, sure. Yeah. But uh, I don't think these guys were in were were, were characters in in that story. Maybe. Well, he wouldn't talk about that really. I mean, to me, he would. He told me what was going down. And I knew the situation because when I joined him, he was just signed on, just signed to, he had one album done on Warner Brothers, which is Astral Weeks, which is a bomb, but it's just like a a landmark album. Yeah, a lot of of people cite cite that, you know. A lot of people cite that oh, album absolutely. as being a landmark, landmark album. Yeah, I mean, a landmark and a, a very innovative album. But um, uh, so I, I came in, you know, there's a whole period of time there when he didn't have a, 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 a label before, uh, after Bang and before Warner Brothers. So he was up in Boston. So exactly how do you come in? Does, does he meet you? Does right. the producer call you up? Like exactly how does it happen? Oh, well, I will, so after Bang folded and uh, I was out there working my, you know, my own bands again, trying to get, trying to get a deal on my own back up in the mid Hudson Valley doing my thing. And uh, Van had moved from after he landed in, Peter Wolf's uh, couch, you know, from uh, Peter Wolf was a DJ that time, way before uh, Jay Giles. He was just starting with Jay Giles then. Right. And uh, so he left, uh, his wife got him to move to Woodstock. And he was there for a while. And I hadn't met them, but his his tour manager at that time 
came to see me play with my girlfriend. My girlfriend at the time spoke to a Van's tour manager and said, you know, because Van was looking for a guitarist. Mm-hmm. So uh, she said, Van's looking for a guitarist, she told me. I said, well, okay. I mean, I didn't really care. Right. Believe right. it or not, one way or another. So she kind of forced me into an audition, kind of talked me into it through his tour manager. Right. And that's, you know, that's finally set me up with, a, with an audition with Van up in Ohio Mountain Road overlooking the Ashokan Reservoir mm-hmm. in Woodstock. And, and I, that's where I had the, re, uh, the audition, which just me and him. Wow. And, and so tell us more. What was that like? Was it, was was it more of a conversation I mean, I or was it, you know? What's that? I said, was it more of a conversation just to see if you guys were gel or, you know? It was, it was, you know, effortless, you know, it was just me and him. He just ran down some tunes and, and uh, maybe after the second or third tune, he said, okay, that's it. Took down my number and, and a little piece of paper. And uh, that was, <laughs> that was it. And he called me up and I, I had the gig. And so, and uh, so, how long how long was your relationship with van at that point because well i just i just had met him i mean like i say in past i met him in passing when he was on bang records before before the the shit hit the fan with bang but and that you know that i don't know how many years maybe a year or two went by before before we were talking through moon dance yeah and when i got off the phone i called up moon dance on my apple music and it's it's not a, an album that i have listened to in quite a while but you know what like every song on that album is recognizable by somebody right there's not one song on that album there where you're like oh this is like a hidden album track each each and every one is memorable and you've heard it and how does I never that, thought of it that way. How, how, does, how does that strike you? Did you, did you, did you ever th- consider it, or did you and Van ever talk about things no. like that? Or how? No, Van doesn't talk much about it. In fact, for a while, <laughs> he didn't want to hear any, you know, he's had it with play this off Moondance, play that off Moondance. He actually once had a funeral on stage for Moondance. than the sun Yeah, the bonnie boat was one as we sail into the mystic Oh, I can now hear the sailors cry Smell the sea and feel the sky Let your soul and spirit fly And where that foghorn blows, I 
will be coming home. Yeah, when the foghorn blows, I wanna hear it. I don't have to fear it. Because <laughs> he, but he, you know, now he does it all. You know, he, he doesn't care. That's like Steve so Miller has, getting the Joker or something. Yeah, like, so he'll get know. into a thing on on, on stage. Well, we're, tonight we're going to do um, uh, focusing on hits. Right. So he'll he'll focus in on uh, some of the Moon Dance stuff. But no, I never talked about it. Never thought about it really. Like the deep track angle, as they say. Right. You know, obscure tracks. But I never thought of it that way myself. Now that you brought it up, but it's, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. I, you know, I kind of take it some of that, you know, the extent of the influence of that album to take it for granted a little bit. It definitely. I I mention this a lot, and I I can't reiterate enough, or I can't emphasize enough how easy it is to be a listener and a fan, and then when you start listening deeper, you realize how much goes actually goes into an album like that. Right. And I don't know. I mean, um, it, it's fantastic playing. The grooves are amazing. I know Gary Malibur is all over that. And, you know, and, and the sounds are great too. It's not, it's not, um, you know, it's not really light drumming. It's not like, I mean, you guys are playing, right. You guys are really digging in and, and, when we were together last, you 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 said something to the effect like you didn't play any electric guitar on that album. Yeah, well, um, Glad Tidings is the only one that I think I played electric on. Glad Tidings from New York. Well, I don't know if it was um, just uh, just my perception, but the acoustic guitar is mixed very hot in that on that yeah. album. Have you noticed that? Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean. <laughs> You know, uh, it, it, Elliot, you know, was a big help. He got me some work and he was sort of a fan of my playing after that. Yeah, it's it's, it's not like it's like a strummy instrument in the background. I mean, it's a featured, it's a featured element of the band. You know, yeah. it, the the acoustic guitar takes center stage. You think on so? That, on that, I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very, very prominent. And maybe the fact that there's no electric helps it out a lot. Right. Right. Oh yeah, it's really it, it's open. I yes, mean, there's yes, nothing to clutter to clutter that range of right. you know that tonality or whatever. Right. You know? Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Right. I'm the only guitar, except for you know maybe uh, into the Mystic Vance playing some rhythm. I forget what else. Other than that, you know, that's it. A couple acoustics. Now, now, did did you as a guitar player? Did you ever have to play Brown Eyed Girl? Oh, all the time. <laughs> and like, what, what wedding, what wedding, what wedding, um, ba what wedding band guitar Thank player you, has not? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. For some reason, Vance stuck to it. I mean, as much as he hated Bang, he's, you know, he still played it and still, he still had to play it. I mean, I think you so just from like, an audience perspective, like, you know, you have to play, you, you, you know, the people paid money for this. You got to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a while he refused to do that. Like I said earlier, he refused to play the hits. 
Right. Then he, um, you know, he surrendered and, and, and I mean, he, he even hated to do gigs. Right. I mean, you had to wind him up and push him on stage to get him to play gigs. Hmm. You my, know, at, my kind of guy. Huh? I said, my, yeah, my kind of guy. <laughs> me too. His, 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 his thing was, his dictum was, the show does not have to go on. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, and, and once, uh, um, you know, Bill Graham? Yeah. Like, you know, he was going to throw a chair at him if he didn't go on stage. Was, yeah. that, was, was that at the Fillmore East? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because Bill had managed him for a while. And, oh my uh, goodness! And there was a couple of shows where band didn't want to go on, and and a heavyweight uh, New York produ uh, uh, promoter, uh, Ron Delsner. You've heard mm -hmm. of Ron, right? Uh, of course, I've heard of him. I yeah. mean, Ron Madison you know, he promoted Madison Square Garden for a long time. Right. Oh. So Ron, right, Ron. You know, band was always appreciative to to Ron because Ben got into one of these things that he just couldn't deal with going on stage, and right. Ron said. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Don't worry about it. Oh, wow. Van's, Van always loved him for that and kept him in his, uh, in his sphere, in his right. universe for a long time because of that. But do now... You, do you think now it was Van, a state... Is it just a, a, a reluctance or a stage yeah, fright thing yeah, or yeah, just stage, like, you know... Stage fright, reluctance. and uh, But now it's the opposite. I mean, now he's pissed off with the coronavirus thing. He thinks it's, you know, that uh, this whole shit... It's going down is 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 a government fascist thing, and like you know, he wants to play. He's, he's like he's like f you. I'm, I want to get out there and play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I spoke to him the other day about that, and he says I just can't make my nut. You know, it's got. I can't do this social distancing. I you know I got to fill the house to to make my nut. So there's a pro, there's like he's on a crusade right now asking everybody in the business to to speak up about it yeah well the truth is that you know um entertainment and crowds gathering to hear music is is the last thing that's going to get the okay it, re it really is but you know what i i think it's the thing i mean i really miss going to i mean in our area we have daryl's house we have capitol theater Right. And a lot of those venues are standing, you know, standing room venues. And it's so important to be able to hear music while you're standing next to somebody. Right. Right. I mean, you can't be six feet apart. I mean, how many, I mean. Well, even if they saw the rock part, concert what about leaving the venue, I mean, everybody's going to bottleneck. Somewhere. Exactly. Right. You have to get like an exit ticket and blue, yeah. blue tickets leave now. Yeah, and exactly. it's just, it's just crazy. But, um, but that's where Van's at now. It's just a complete opposite. And, you know, I got to the point where he'll, you know, he accepts that he, that's what he does. When they, ask, when they ask him, what do you, you know, what would, how would you describe yourself? He'll, think, he'll say, I do gigs. Right. That's what I do. Right. And uh, so he's accepted it and he plays, you know, he plays uh, the hits when he feels like it. And, and he writes amazing songs too. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, so, you, you know, write and play. Quadruple threat, you know. Yeah, really vocalist, singer, everything, and he's just there's still, still doing it. There is a true R and B aspect to Moon Dance, and I was just wondering when I was listening on Saturday if, if that was um, is that just a natural outcome? Yeah. Or 
because it sounds so natural. He does not try. He does not sound like he's trying to be soulful. No, but he, again, he he considers himself a soul singer. That's what he and, says. I'm a soul singer, and I would too. I, I too. It's like he is like yeah. a, a, a a great soul singer. But it's effortless. He doesn't even he doesn't think about it. He's he just absorbed it, and uh, all those influences influences of his life has been uh, synthesized into his being. Right. So it's effortless, but it's soulful. It's phrasing all the time. Just amazing phrasing. It's, it it really is. Um, let's let's focus. Let's bring the story back to John Platania, and. Uh-oh. You're. What are you? What are you? What are you thinking of the music business at this time? Are you riding high? Are you? Are you paying your rent? Playing gigs? Are you? And and this is the time around Moon Dance. Are you? Uh, oh. Are you branching out to other? You know, are you branching out to other artists? Are you? Or, or are are you trying to make a go of this? Or is this music business thing just coming to you? Well, that's a good way of putting it. I think, you know, I've been lucky. I think it's been coming to me, you know. And I'm, uh, and I'm talking specifically like around, around this moon dance time because this seems like a peak, like a career peak. Yeah. I mean, not, not to say that there's been a dip, but I'm saying like at this point, you're, you're playing some good gigs. You're playing, on a, you're playing with an established artist. And so how do you, how do you feel at this point of your career? Um. Well, I'm, you know, I'm into it and I'm accepting it. I don't know if, if I feel like that I'm thinking, well, I've arrived now. I, I, that never entered my mind. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, good. at this point, I'm, I'm thinking I'm gigging great. I mean, and moon dance was, is, was like a plateau. I mean, from that point on, then came uh, uh, street choir. It's basically the same thing. Right. You know? Even though street choir wasn't to the level of of moon dance, as far as gigs, as far as uh, where I, where I, where I'm at 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 that point in the music industry or my place as a musician, it's kind of you know it's kind of a plateau. It's kind of a level. It's sort of stayed that way for a long time. Are are other people seeking your yeah. playing and and so tell Around us time, tell us about this. So, I can't yeah. tell you exactly when, you know, that's when I started working with, with Bonnie Raitt and, and then uh, you got some, some, some gigs out West with some unknown artists, but then uh, Vans uh, of Warner's got me a couple of gigs with, uh, with Randy, did a bunch of demos with Randy, Randy and I wound up doing good old boys. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Judy Collins, I started working with, you know, so things like that, but it was mostly, all on a gigging situation. And of course, Chip was in there as well. Right. He's like and a constant in there. You're, but you're referring far, to you Chip know, Taylor, right? For for those who... Chip Taylor, yeah. Chip Taylor, yeah. Chip wrote Wild Thing, Angel of the Morning, tons of stuff. For, uh, uh, I mean, he's written for everybody. He was one of those uh, New York City uh, uh, Tim Pan Alley guys. Not Tim Pan Alley, but... That that kind of guy, just real building guys or whatever. Real building guy, yeah. Um, so you you end up playing with a lot of people, and does this snowball, or are you? Um, tell us tell us about your career at that point with Van, without Van. Well, without Van, you know, I 
I mean, it, it doesn't snowball, it sort of stays that way. I mean, I got into doing uh, production and um, whatever gigs would come around because Van was, I couldn't depend on Van for gigs all the time because Van would disband and, you know, Van was all over the map it, it, personally, you know, we were, we were living, the thing, the situation was that he was living in the States and he had an, he had, he went through some rough period, period with his, with his wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he split, he, he wanted to get out of the country and he split to, um, back home. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't, I just didn't want to deal with moving there. Right. So, uh, so my gigs with Van were, you know, whenever I got the call. Did, did he offer you, Hey, come on. Yeah. I'm going back. Come, come with me. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, he'd, he'd ask if I wanted, he'd, I'd do some gigs and then he'd ask me to stay there. And, and that kind of uh, cycle kept going till, you know, until 2010. No, so, then, so there was never a point where it was like, now nah, I can't do a tour with this guy. I, I don't like him. I'm not speaking to him. Was there a falling out point? Where oh, there you, was a falling you know? out maybe towards the beginning. Okay. You know, um, maybe around, around street choir. Actually, before street choir was done, Van and I got into an argument and, uh, and I bailed right after a gig. I remember the gig. We played mm -hmm. some gig in Princeton, he was, he was doing, you know, he was getting a testy, which he does. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't dig it. And On stage? Just, yeah. Like cha challenging your plan? <laughs> and then, uh, but I bailed after that. Right. And, and then if you see, if you see the Street Choir album, the group shot, I'm not in it. <laughs> the, the, uh, the roadie is, Larry oh Goldsmith. The guy with glasses is supposed to be me. So I didn't make it because we were pissed off at each other. It was more like a brother thing than anything else. Then after that, I came back in. Right. So that's really the only time. Um, but no, I mean, you know, I, I, we did the Caledonia Soul Orchestra, which was, you know, which was a, a really, that was a high, that, that album. Mm -hmm. It's too late to stop now. That's another album that has, really has uh, legs. I mean, it's an important album. And did, did a tour, long tour under that with Caledonia Soul Orchestra, which was, you know, horn sections and string section. And that was a, that was a, you know, an important um, time of his life, which he, which he tried to replicate back in uh, like 2006, 2007. Okay. And uh, so there, there, there are the, uh, the release of, um, the Montreux uh, a Jazz Festival, that show, which was a, a really great um, performance. And uh, he, he put that band together as well. So there's certain units that he, he really loved. And he would, he would talk about those, those units, you know, which included me and Daoud and, and the keyboard player, uh, Jeff. Right. And, but in, in general, you know, my career, I owe my career to Van. So okay. anything, you know, nothing comes up to tell you the truth to that level um, in, in any of my endeavors. Right. So, uh, but, 
but it's kept me going. I, you know, whatever productions I've had, whatever publishing I've had, you know, uh, really on the side, any bands I put together. Right. But my interest is, you know, my thing is, is as a team player. That's one of the things I've, I've come to realize. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm more comfortable in that situation as opposed to, to being a leader of a band. I think that that is a very important, I mean, I, 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 I identify with that highly yeah, or intensely because I feel like in the world of drumming, there's so many great drummers, there's so many great technicians. There's, I mean, the, the level of playing and execution that's out there. I mean, there's so much going on yet at the, when I really think about it, I really got into music as a drummer who wanted to be in a band. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to be in a band. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I, I didn't have any um, ambitions to be the guy up front taking a solo or flashy or, you know, just, yeah, well, just wanted, to, wanted to be in a band. Right. Well, we're, we're on the, uh, on the same uh, wavelength. No pun intended. So you, you, um, have been working with Chip Taylor for quite some time, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. earlier, you just you just mentioned that he he's written some classic songs, right? And we so one of them was Angel of the Morning, right? Right. And the other one is Wild Things, Wild right. Thing, or is it Wild Things? Wild Thing, Wild Wild, wild Thing. And um, were you with him at at these points, or were or, or no. are you? He. Um, he, he's the, like a brill, uh, brill building guy. Right. And a, a strictly a songwriter. That's where he came out of. Uh, and that's all he's ever wanted to do is to be a songwriter. And he, you know, those songs were written because certain artists, except for, uh, for Angel of the Morning, something he just thought that he just came to him. But Wild Thing was something that he, that he wrote on demand. Right. Some, uh, uh, the Trogs? Well, the Trogs didn't, somebody else asked, needed this, a rock song. And they, uh, Chip is basically a, a country guy. That's what he was writing. But then somebody he started getting into rock, to, writing some rock tunes, R&B oriented tunes. Most of his R&B hits, some heavy duty R&B hits, which he wrote with Jerry Ragavoy. You know who mm-hmm. Jerry Ragavoy is? No, I don't. He was heavyweight uh, New York City uh, producer. Uh, um, uh, you have to look him up. I can't think off the end, but an R&B guy. Okay. And and he enlisted Chip to write a bunch of tunes that uh, um, that a lot of people uh, R&B artists had hits with. Once he started getting to an R&B, started morphing into writing rock, and then uh, uh, a group called Jordan Christopher and the Wild Ones. Mm-hmm. Um, from Manhattan needed a rock song. Chip wrote the song for those guys. They did a terrible job of it, but that demo that Chip wrote for those guys is where uh, the Trogs, manager of the Trogs, heard that song and and gave it to uh, all of them, and it was a monster hit. Wow. It's One certainly... of the biggest, yeah, I mean, you're talking about mailbox money, yeah. heavy-duty mailbox money. Yes. That's done over and over again. as this wild thing. Yeah, I mean, as is Angel of the Morning. I mean, yeah. it's endless, millions. Crazy, right? Crazy. And that—that's his thing. And then, 
he got he he decided he wanted to get into a solo uh, uh, thing, <coughs> get, you know, pick up his solo career. Uh, I was sick of writing for do the Brill Building thing, and uh, Warner Brothers picked him up. Right. I would say uh, I did this his first solo album I did with him in '73. Uh, I want the real thing. Work. for Buddha records. Then from that point on, Warner's picked him up. And uh, he had a, a, a really influential album called uh, Last Chance, which was really kind of an outlaw country thing. Mm -hmm. Way, you know, just maybe uh, way before, before it was the cool. outlaw country thing was happening. Yeah. Because yeah. it was the New York City guy doing playing country and it he was just not part of the Nashville scene. And that's what became a very influential album. And um, so, you know, but, but Chip divided his time between gambling and his music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he pissed off Warner Brothers a bunch of times because they wanted him to tour and he didn't want to, he didn't want to tour and leave because he didn't want to leave the racetrack. I don't know if you knew that because you did a couple of gigs with him. Yes, I did. But yeah. I do. He did. He did mention something about about yeah, that so. one. Um, but um, so so where do you where do you see yourself with with a guy like Chip at this point? I mean, are you because um, he obviously, in in my view, relies on you heavily. Yeah, as, he sure as does. a player, as um, I mean, you're supporting his music. I'm sure he. He see he can tell that you see his vision. I mean, yeah. So how does how does it work? What's what's the real musical relationship like? It's exactly that, and my you know he did exactly what you delineated. That's the way it is. But it's strange because it's uh, the mu the way I have to play for Chip is similar to the way I play for Van in that I have to serve the song. Right. I mean that's. You know that I think that that's mm -hmm. you know to do what I do to be a backup musician to be a team player you just have to serve the song and and with Chip I know exactly what he wants after all these years right and 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 at times especially now 
I almost have to disappear. You know, right. It's almost, you know, most people if a couple of guitar players that I've known have tr- that I've known that tried to do that gig said, man, this is a tough gig because mm-hmm. you got to, you know, you got to pick your holes and you just got to uh, watch what you play and you just have to serve them. You have to, and there's, and you have to be really melodic with mm-hmm. Chip. And the same thing with Van though. Van um, um, is more open, you know, right. he, you know, he never told me what to do ever. Uh, the only thing he's ever said to me is don't step on my voice. He said that once. Right. Don't step on my vocals. It's probably, and, probably uh, the hardest yeah. thing for a musician to do is kind of like disappear. You, you could, yeah, you you want to contribute, yet you don't want to be noticed. You know, right. yeah, you got to leave your ego out there. But I I enjoy that. I'm try. I enjoy yeah. just serving the song, see what I, you know, just fitting in right. So, where where is the is there a line between contributing in that way, and then where where does the line into like you're actually helping? You know, you're actually helping write write the song at this point. Yeah. With an artist, like like if somebody says, "What would you do here? What would you do there?" and you you're coming up with this stuff, are you orchestrating? Are 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 you co-writing the song? Well, you mean as far as what I'm? Well, maybe Moon, uh, not Moon Dance, but Domino is one is one thing that everybody everybody you know tells me that my lick, uh, um, the intro lick, right, uh, made the song, and and Van said, "I'm play me something there. I need an intro." Play me okay. a, some kind of hooky thing. Yes. And, and I did. I, I gave him two of them, two different things. And I said, which one do you want? And the one you hear that you've heard is, is the lick that uh, he chose. And then, you know, there's a lick in the middle. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, um, it's a cliche, but it works. It certainly yeah. does. Yeah. So. Um, did When you come up with stuff like that, uh, well, I, I, have, I have two questions. Did it come out naturally or did you have to think, or are you thinking about this part? Like, is, is this something you come up with on the spot? Yeah. Came up Dino, with it on the spot. Right. Yeah. Cause that's the, um, it's a, yeah. some, what kind, Nobody what kind of guitar is that by either. the way? Nobody gets it. It's a simple thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, came, I did that in a similar lick. I gave him two licks. I gave him one. He said, no, nah, no. Nah. You know, that's close. And then, then the second one was the one you just sang, the one that, that's on the record. And so they're... And Domino... You can't really, you can't really as, a, as a musician, you can't really... Sometimes you can't... I mean, you're contributing, but you can't really stake a claim in the songwriting. Just because just no. you've come up with an, an, an identifiable yeah, piece well, of you it. Can't, you, know? you can't copyright it. Uh, 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 a riff or a lick right. so but you know you if you're lucky you you, you put your stamp on it somehow but i, I have trying to do that as of as of this point in my podcast um endeavor i have not yet been playing examples uh, uh audio examples of our conversations because the editing is just, I don't, I don't know. I, you I don't can put want, that in later, can't you? Yeah, I, I can, but then I got to learn how to do fades and logic and blah, 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 <laughs> and this, that. But...
It'll be under the educational, um, yeah. you know, purposes and whatever. Yeah. We'll, we'll only use 10 seconds of it, but yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so why don't we chat a little? So what are you doing with this music license? What, what, what's up with this? Explain it to us. Like, um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of music educators listening, a lot of non-musicians listening. So what is this music licensing thing all music about? Music licensing. First of all, I've been doing it for 10 years. I did. And, um, it started out with pump audio. I didn't even know what it what, you know, I heard the term music licensing, but I never thought about it too much. And then um, uh, then a, a local guy started a, a, a library called Pump Audio. Did you, did you ever hear Pump Audio? Did of course I did, yeah. Steve, Steve Ellis, but I'm, yeah, Steve. I'm, letting, I'm letting you explain it. You got to explain it for okay. the audience. Go ahead. Well, I didn't know anything about it. Steve says, you know, I'm doing this thing and it's called Pump Audio. I have a, a, a drive and what happens is that I'm, I'm recruiting and signing up all frustrated songwriters and musicians to, to, to contribute their songs to, my, to, to Pump Audio and they'll have, a, they might find a home um, on on the media on in, in on cable TV and uh, film or whatever. So it, at that point, it, it, the concept was um, it was at this point that the industry um, started using outside material rather than house uh, supervisors, house musicians. Uh, and and composers, house composers. I mean, that's there, but now they started going going outside that realm. And uh, there was this new service. I don't know if, if um, Pump Audio and Steve Ellis were the, was the first to do it, but I'm sure he modeled his thing mm. uh, on that concept. Right. And and it, it it was it was very open. It was a new frontier then, and it was and and almost immediately I I. I I uh, I was pretty successful. No, how does it how does it work? So, is the, cr- the pump, cr- the pump box, pump audio was was at that point was a, um, a hard drive that was leased to um, an advertising agency, a film uh, company, uh, a documentary company. They would uh, uh, they would I think they would lease or just 
uh, uh, pump would just lend them, let them have their um, this hard drive, which had you know maybe a hundred different genres of music, and they would just scroll through it until they found a, a piece of music that would work within whatever the, the the project they were working on. So it's like a la carte, like you a la carte. You yeah. take the whole drive, you cherry pick right. a dozen things here, you pay for yeah. what you use, and right, <clears throat> exactly. But you know. I sh my mistake was that I didn't do it consistently. So, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I was involved, you know, in cause you're a busy musician. Gigging. Sorry. <laughs> I say, cause you mean, cause you're a busy musician. <laughs> I guess. Right. <laughs> but but I, I wish I'd made the time and, you know, and, and uh, pursued it a little bit more. And, and because the game has evolved and it's a really, complicated game now we you and i've spoken about it now yes, the have. demands are there's a glut now i'm not i'm not, I'm not saying that it's an impossible situation but the paradigm has shifted you know par paradigm shifted from from sales of cds the business is imploded the record business is imploded so consequently everybody's trying to get in into right. music licensing now this is like the um the new, the new music industry. The yeah, this is this is like in the seventies. Uh, if you played weddings, like I did, <laughs> you were like at the bottom of the barrel. You were like at the at the bottom of the musician, and then if you uh, of, of of the musician food chain, and if if you played Broadway, you were like one step, just one, like barely one step above a wedding musician, and then fast forward thirty years, and like. Broadway is like the, the most happening thing right. in New York and playing private parties is like, you know, people are making a nice living playing part. And anyway, but it's like one of these things yeah. where the, where the music business business model has changed, right? The, the flow oh, of the business. So huge shift paradigm shift. So, but let I me mean, just, let me, let me see if I get this right though for, for the listeners. So music licensing is kind of an on demand, music per genre that's suitable for different media platforms like uh, Absolutely. Netflix, um, Showtime, video games, um, apps, this, that, and the other right. thing, right? It, wherever incidental music can, can be found, right? Commercials, television commercials, and so on. And so it's the writers that will write these libraries, which, which are, which end up being little pieces of music. So can you explain how that, the little pieces work well have you investigated what's going on now? a little bit but i was gonna I was, i'm trying to make a point I was well, trying the to little, back, pieces, little pieces is a part of it you have you have your main song okay say you start off with a full mix doesn't you know um of any given song when i first started with pump audio i would give them the full mix of the song and maybe some alt mixes, two or three. Uh, and is this an instrumental song or a vocal song or anything? Instrumental or vocal. Okay. Doesn't matter. Okay. Could be a vocal song and and maybe give them a, a music, a TV mix. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's been pretty common forever. Um, and um, and that's it. Maybe a sixty second, or just some shorter edits. Right. I mean, it was that open. But now, now. They demand, they're so specific about what they demand now. 
is spoiled. I mean, because of the glut, there's so many musicians, there's so much music that's being submitted. Uh, there are hundreds of uh, libraries now, just like Pump. Mm -hmm. Each one's got a different, different format and different demands. But in general, the demands are full mix, uh, alt mixes of, uh, uh, of that full mix. Um, stems, they want stems, drum stems, guitar stems, or whatever you have. So stems for the audience are just the bare track, like the, the, the bare track of like drums, drums and bass, right? right. Okay. Drum and bass is an important uh, 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 stem that they want. Right. Or just a guitar stem. Uh, just a string stem. Whatever the songs, whatever the songs composed of, they'll want stems of that. So you're they basically you're basically throwing these bits. Every, and right. uh, yeah, the, you're you're organizing as, as an artist and composer. You're organizing these pieces so that they can be chronicled and cate categorized, right, and labeled. So and they have yeah. So they have. Uh, uh, Complete control, all options at their disposal. Right. The given song, which they choose, that they can, you know, they might want to use uh, uh, a music minor, just a drum and bass mix of mm -hmm. that of that song, another part of of a TV series or whatever. Right. So and, and um, so, what are what's the what are some of the takeaways? What what have you learned? What are, I mean, you started the con this part of the conversation saying that you wish you had started earlier. What does that mean from a, from an income perspective or are you learning so much now that you wish that you had, you know? Well, I mean, when I first started with pump, it was just submit music. I would just submit music to pump, mm -hmm. but I didn't pursue it because like anything else, the, the, the business has evolved and the, um, uh, the demands are so uh, uh, specific now. And right. there's a whole period when I first started, and, and there's, there was a bunch of years that I didn't keep up with what was happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I decided to get back into the game uh, a, a couple of years ago. And, it, and it's completely changed. And um, uh, seems like the music licensing places have become the new record label yeah yeah right? but but the end users is a is a completely different end user right and and and, and the demands of the end user is not the same you gotta you gotta get out of the head that i'm gonna make an album with 12 oh, yeah. songs 10 songs or an ep i'm gonna mix the shit out of it i'm gonna try to get a deal oh yeah yeah, that, yeah. that doesn't work anymore <laughs> really because <laughs> i would I was hoping I'd make it one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, me too. And so it's, it's just, you know, you, you got to forget about that. You, you, you have to write, you know, you still have to think almost like, a, you know, uh, like uh, um, a film composer. Like, right. You know, you still have to put yourself into that head. You have to think of, of, in terms of what, um, any given uh, uh, show wants any uh, advertising, but the thing is, there's so it, it really is a golden age right now. I mean, there's hundreds of of, of, of productions going on in TV and right. advertising. They all mm -hmm. need material. Films need material. Uh, documentaries. I mean, right. it's endless. So I mean, there's that. It's that. It's not that. Uh, 
Um, and it's a numbers game. So all these little bits that you that you mentioned, each one is is um, is a placement opportunity. Yeah. Thirty second, fifteen second, a, a, a bumper, a stinger. Each has um, a placement opportunity, and a, a stinger could get, make you as much money on the back end royalty as a full mix used. When when I um when when I think of stingers, if if you've ever seen the show Friends, yeah, yeah, which, exactly. Which I did, which I did not grow 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 up watching, but um, I. I went back because my wife is a, my wife can watch Friends twenty four seven. Anyway, it's actually a good good show. Yeah. There's incredible stingers in right. in between scenes, or after a commercial break or something that like right. are really really great, you know. And um, that's what I think of a good stinger. It's just like and five Seinfeld, seconds, that you know. Bass, that bass thing. In yeah, Seinfeld. Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A, Who would have thought, you know. That's a killer one. I want to talk yeah. about, I mean, bef- bef- I, I, want, I want to talk about two other areas that are just, I mean, it's just kind of a non sequitur. T- tell me about guitar players. What, what, what kind of guitar playing hits you? Like what, what really strikes you? Like, Either it's the player or the genre or the sound or the who's your who who are your guys who are your guitar guys? Oh gee, I don't know. Um, I I'm, there's so many of them. It just uh, I mean from the beginning, you know, it was West Montgomery. I, lo- I love uh, um, Chet. I love Chet Atkins. Chet Atkins. Uh, oh my God. Of course, yeah. Jimi Hendrix. I mean, there's so many of them. It depends on uh, what strikes me. Um, um, is there a certain kind of... No. You know, is there a certain way of voicing chords or, you know, fifths or tuning or that gets you or... No, it's whatever, you know, I, I synthesize so much. My style comes from so many players. I'll learn, if I hear something that I like, I'll just absorb it into my playing. Right. I, think, I mean, people always tell me I have my own sound. I never heard it. But then after a while, I realize why they say that. Because uh, I'll take something and I'll synthesize it through my filters and it comes out my way. And I'll take I'll, any guitar player that I hear, Hendrix or, or, right. or Keith or, or, uh, or um, uh, uh, Jeff Beck or any guitar. I hear, I hear guitar players now that um, I can't even uh, think off the top of my head that uh, I really love um, young guys. I mean, like um, Marcus King, have you ever heard of him? No, no, I haven't. Young guy, he's like in his 20s, a monster. So you know, I'll cop something from him, you know, uh, and I'm absorb it my own way. But, you know, uh, I don't know if there's anybody, I, I love Curtis Mayfield, mm-hmm. that, inf- that informed a lot of my playing. Um, How about er- Ernie Isley? No, Ernie was Ernie to me was 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 Jimmy. Yeah, I Ernie mean, got this thing from Jimmy. He, who who got it from who? Ernie got it from Jimmy, or Jimmy got it from oh, Ernie? Ernie got it from Jimmy. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, and so did uh, uh, Stevie Ray. What do you from think? Have you ever had any thoughts about? I mean, again, I'm, my my mind is jumping, but I. What about, I mean, because like there's, there's Ernie Isley, there's Chuck Berry, there's Jimi Hendrix, 
there's great African American. There's Muddy Waters, right? Well, Elmore James. I I think of as far as the early blues, Elmore James. Elmore James. I cop so much my slide playing from Elmore. I mean, he's really paramount as far as my slide playing. And uh, and Albert King is. I love Albert King above all of them, more so than BB uh, or Freddie. Albert's my man. I got a lot of of stuff from him. I'm sorry to interrupt, but a a lot of my introduction as a youngster to these classic blues guys was through bands that worshipped the blues guys, like the Stones or Foghat, or you know. And that's the first time I ever heard of Muddy Waters. I think Foghat did it had Muddy Waters on Don Kirshner's rock concert or something. Right. Yeah, and I think the Stones were important for that, you know, uh, opening up our eyes as Americans to, uh, you know, our blues heritage. That's kind of Amazing. the point I was going. I'm trying to make is that what is there something miss? Is there is there a page? I mean, you're def, you're definitely you're blues influenced uh, player, wouldn't you say so? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I try to put the blues into anything I do. And I think that that's a big part of your sound. And what, you know, to, do we still pay, do we still pay homage to the blues? Uh, like we should, I mean, there's really not any blues based rock and roll bands anymore, or, you know, is is, is it a missing element? Not at all. Like I said, this mark is, this guy, Marcus King, I think he's in maybe in his mid to late 20s. I mean, he is so blues-based. Right. I mean, he's got it down. He's so so you're saying that there is still oh, yeah. blues influence. Okay, got yeah. it. Okay. And the young guys. I don't think it's lost at all. Good. It's, Good. Uh, um, it's just we're just not going to hear it in country or, we're, uh, you know, country music, which is the only thing that's selling or, or any of the uh, – Right the weird pop shit that's going down now. You're not going to hear it there, but you will hear it, you know, maybe on the KZEs or, or Woodstock stations or right. the, uh, college stations, you'll hear it. It's there. Right. I don't know, you know, and, oh, uh, that Texas guy, um, uh, Gary Clark. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of those guys. I mean, right. they've got it down. So, no, it's not, it's there, thankfully. Thank God. I've been listening to just, just recently, like I, I have a playlist for my walk or I, it's called jog, but I, you wouldn't call it a jog if you actually saw me do it. It's, it's more like a quick walk, but uh, <laughs> I put, um, I just, <laughs> I just put yesterday, I put Slade on it. Slade? Slade. Oh, yeah. Man. And I put humble pie on it. Oh man. And there's, Actually, the productions are very similar. Um, guitar sounds are similar. Maybe there's a lot of c- compression on the recording. I mean, the amp sounds are amazing. Like yeah. that, that, that rock and roll is. Anyway, but the drumming though is great. I, I, I hear, I hear this. I mean, these are ancient recordings where the drummers have to be like all of 24 years old or whatever. Right. And they're playing their asses off you know you know you ever you ever think of you know you ever just ponder that for for a bit i mean because you were there with 
you were there in the moon dance days. I mean, right. Yeah. Well, Gary always impressed me. I love Gary. Um, I mean, Gary. You're talking uh, about Gary Malibur, right? Gary Malibur. Yep. Yeah. Um, so if I can just I, keep hold that thought because I, 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 that was kind of the, the last chunk of conversation I wanted to bring to the table, which is drummers, like your, your take on drummers and this, even though I'm a drummer, this podcast is not about drummers ever like this series of podcasts, but this is an instance where I wanted to, I wanted to convey to the audience that I, I sent you an interview of Gary Malibur and he was speaking very highly of your playing on moon dance. And then we started talking about Gary Malibur. So do you want, yeah, tell me, tell me your thoughts on drummers. You've mentioned get, because to me personally, you've mentioned Gary Malibur and Gary Bruce, two drummers that I, I remember you. Gary? Gary Bruce. You mean uh, my Sharona drummer? Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Gary. Bruce Gary. Okay. Right. Okay. So I thought too, right. I was getting get on my Gary's. So, yeah. well, first of all, tell me, tell me about Gary Malibur, your, your impressions, your, well, first of all, yes, just a great guy, just an open, beautiful guy. I mean, but a knowledgeable drummer could do anything. I mean, if you're aware of what he did with the Ravens, where he's from, uh, a group called the Ravens. Uh, no, I'm not. In Buffalo. Okay. They were like a seminal group up there. Jazz, fusion, blues, everything. Monster band, monster musicians. And he came out of that. And I mean, Gary, Gary can do it all. I mean, straight can. ahead jazz, and then the shit that he did with uh, Steve Miller, just straight mm -hmm. ahead rock and roll, simple, basic rock and roll. But he just, and it always works with Gary. Um, he's he's another guy that you know he can disappear, but yeah. he can you know take the money and run. Has you know all of his riffs and fills getting into songs are so identifiable, right? Yeah, absolutely. That and. Um, what are his other fills that are? He has some. He has, he has some great fills in like um, "Fly Like an Eagle," right? But he also has some great great fills on on "Moon Dance." He has some great. Um, yeah, everything he plays is perfect. It's not a. It's not a. Not a hit out of you know, wasted. You're right. There's not a hit wasted. So. And then uh, that band's other drummer is completely different. Gary uh, Daoud Shaw, okay. the drummer that played on Moon Dance. And he's like a Syrian. who's an Arab. He, he passed away, by the way. And he was, Gary was always, Gary, uh, you, you, you know better than I, but Gary Malibur is probably always right on, right on it, not in front, not in back. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. But, but uh, Daoud, the drummer on, um, street choir and a domino and all that if you listen to domino it, it creeps up okay groove wise it put Dawood pushes this the shit out of a groove it's on top of it and maybe pushes it used to push it a little bit too much but but it worked van mm -hmm. loved that right at that point now he wouldn't because he's so much more laid back right but at that point he loved uh the way Dawood would push the, you know push the groove um uh who, who, another drummer he used i, I can't i can't remember well then, then you have uh uh, uh gary uh burke 
Go ahead. Yeah. Yep. He's right behind the beat all the time. Yes. Uh, he's so great. Yeah. yeah. And he, and he does it on purpose. He controls it. Yes. So, I hate that. I'm, it's tough on me because I feel it closer to the way Daoud used mm-hmm. to be. My, my tendency is to play on top, if, if not pushing it a little bit. And with Gary, I got to pull myself back. Sometimes it's tough for me. I was going to say that, um, that he lays down. Yeah, it's it, I was going to say I hate drummers like that because it 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 shows that they have such such a high command <laughs> of the instrument because I'm always like, God damn it. I wish I could do that because <laughs> well, yeah, he can. Yeah, you play on top. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, yeah, I do. Well, I, I, that's why I, I'm comfortable playing with you. Yeah, that's the way I feel it. But you don't push it. Daoud would push it. Just keep right. pushing and uh and you, you have to be careful he has he had to be careful Goodness so um so, so what do you what do you you you've you know you've talked about writing your own music for for licensing but you've also had your own albums out why don't you why don't you tell us about those yeah well uh, you know that gets back to i have i have two albums out and uh Basically, those are albums that I didn't really, you know, I didn't really want to do it. It, did, it just landed, uh, you know, on my lap, so to speak. First one I did, uh, uh, Lucky Dog, was a guy that uh, pretty well known. Did you play on it? You didn't play on it. I album. did, yeah, I did. I don't know if I played on the whole album, but. And, and both my albums you played on. Okay. Hey. <laughs> now I feel good with all those good drummers. <laughs> Yeah, they both came, they're both great albums, man. But I didn't. What was that guy's album. name? I had this singer, this uh, singer-songwriter, a frustrated singer-songwriter, uh, couldn't sing, but he wrote pretty good. Uh, and he was, uh, you know, Elwood. Do you know Elwood? Yes, but he's a great illustrator, right? Great illustrator. Yeah. yeah. And frustrated musician. But so he came to you like, hey, man, I got, I got words. I want you to marry it I with music, and you guys. You you came up with melody and chords. Go away. Don't go away. You gave me pleasure and you gave me pain. A rainbow followed by torrential rain. I played the game, but you changed the rules since you met me. And I met you. I'm a lucky dog. with him was he had the melody and the chords but i completely destru- uh, deconstructed them and started mm-hmm. from the ground up i just you know uh 
took his changes and his arrangements and completely changed them around, extrapolated, interpolated, everything. Mm-hmm. And you would not recognize so, the Electric Dog album. So similar album. though, similar role to that which you've been playing your entire career, right? You're, yeah. you're kind of um, getting... I was able to put my producer's hat on with that. I had full reign to, as a producer to right. do what I wanted with that. So what, what's the second? That was, what, my, that was the only way I was going to do it. I said, if you want me to do this, that's what I need to do. Right. You have I, to be I, able to do it your way. Otherwise, I don't need it. So I, you, so what about, I forgot the second album. What was the second Waltz's, one? Blues, Waltzes, and Badland Borders. I've been holding on for days with your Texas sexy ways. Was that a reluctant one yeah. for you? How, how so? Well, Chip, I was working a lot with Chip, and Chip had his label, Trainwreck Records, mm-hmm. and he had he was trying to build up the roster, and he wanted me to do a solo album because I was gigging, gigging with him a lot, and he thought that I needed one that I didn't really have. <clears throat> it wasn't, um, I hadn't made a statement as a solo musician, and he thought that I should. All right. Well, and, isn't, that, isn't that nice to have somebody in your corner yeah. like that? Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, again, I didn't want to do it. And again, I said, you know, I'll do it, but this is the way I want to do it. And, you know, we co-wrote half the songs and, uh, and, and you played on that as well. I did. Uh, do we do that? Do we do some of that at Chip Studio? Yeah. And yeah. in, in uh, Mamaroneck? Did we do Was it? Studio in Mamaroneck? Maybe, maybe, but but definitely, or 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 up in Rhinebeck. Marinac, was it? Uh, dub, uh, not Dubway. There's another studio too that we did it at, played at. Yes. We were on a bunch of tunes. I can't remember. Yes. It came. That that album went through like ten different studios. Right. In, in Manhattan and 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 in Texas as well, and up here at Paul's studio, we did a lot of mixing. But again. Uh, had the basic songs and I told Chip that uh, this is where I want to do it, you know. And and you sing too. Sing, yeah. You sing. On, on the first album, I sang everything. Yeah. And this this one, 
The second one, Chip didn't want vocals too much. His concept that he insisted on that there'd be instrumentals with pockets of, of gang vocals here and there. Oh, in nice. the chorus, kind of old school. Right. And kind of the way the jazz guys, you know, used to do in the old school. They would just love that actually. Some gang vocals. I think that's vocals. a great concept. And yeah. and I've never heard that term gang vocals, but that's like the Ray Conniff singers coming yeah. coming in. <laughs> right. Remember Ray Conniff? <laughs> yeah, of course. I, I remember uh, um um Marcus, who's a trumpet player with the family from uh, from New Orleans. Oh, um, the brothers and sisters. Yeah, the Marsalis. Those yeah, guys. The, yeah, the Marsalis brothers. Yeah. Yeah, Winton and and yeah, he put. I remember him putting Ray Conniff down. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! I don't. I don't want to get into the, the racial part of it, but it was horrible. There's but, like. Yeah, I remember Ray Conniff? There is I love Ray Conniff. That's the whole notion. I mean, we can almost spend another hour talking about that, but the whole notion of there's good stuff or there's hip stuff and there's not, and, and there's stuff that's not hip. But right. when you really listen to stuff like that, the Ray, Ray Conniff, or, I mean, I can't think of another, another example, you know, um, that stuff sounds great. I it, love that it stuff. It really does. It sounds great. People call it schmaltz. I love schmaltz. I love yeah. Henry Mancini. Oh, Henry Mancini, yeah. Henry Mancini, king of, of, of melody. I mean. Yes. And, I, well, it's not really that relevant. And real music people would probably, you know, shoot holes in this. But but um, in the 80s, you know that Mexican composer Esquivel? You ever hear yeah. this guy? Yeah. Esquivel? He, yeah. Um, you know. You he, the lounge guy? Lounge music? Yeah, guy? exactly. He kind of like, he kind of you know, did the space age bachelor pad music yeah. and all of a sudden it became hip. Like right. all that stuff became Martin hip. Denny. Exactly. Yeah. All that, all that, all that stuff became hip, but I don't know. There's, there's a lot of that quote unquote corny stuff out there that sounds friggin' awesome, you know, and, Schmaltz, and as musicians, you know, I, I you know, know, that's a whole thing that I love. I love, uh, um, um, Harold Land had a, an album with um, this string arranger that did all of uh, um, um, uh, who's a who's a female um, jazz singer um, from what the, era? Huh? I said what what era are we talking about? We're talking about thirties, forties, fifties. Billie Holiday. Oh yeah, sure. The guy that did that her album that did strings for her album did a bunch of things and Harold Land was one of the albums. Those string arrangements are just monstrous. And, uh, it, you know, it was a jazz uh, orchestrator. I love right. that stuff. I really love that stuff. Um, how can listeners find you, get in touch with you, find out more about your work? Uh, my com. you know, my website, find most everything there. And they can find your solo work. They can find your schedule, or what? What? Are yeah, we? I mean, it, it needs to be updated, and it's being updated now. I got more material. My albums are there, and uh, downloads of all my tunes and stuff. I'm adding to it now as well. You know, I have an R&B thing, an instrumental R&B, old school kind of Stax Volt stuff. Nice. That I'm putting together. Um, I'm putting up there and on Spotify and all that shit. And I've got acoustic 
uh, uh, EP that I'm going to put up there of blues, acoustic blues. Nice. I wouldn't, oh, wouldn't steal. All just acoustic blues, slide slide blues, uh, no no electric, all, all acoustic and dobro and and stuff like that. So those two are my next things, both instrumentals. John, it was a pleasure talking to you, and I'm so honored that you that you uh, that you allowed me to interview you, well, chat yeah. with me. I'm glad to do it. I told you you are you're you are one of my favorite drummers, man. Thank you. Too, I love you, man. Too kind. Love, love you too, and man. The truth. We've known each other a long time. So anyway, thank you. Well, we're going to leave it right there, folks. Right. And John, we will see you soon. All right. Thank you, my brother.